0: Hello everyone. I'm Jennifer Braverman. And I'm Ellen Selm. And welcome to our podcast Stories from the Earth, where we explore humankind's relationship and
1: connection with the natural world. We'd like to take a quick
0: moment to invite
1: our listeners to consider supporting us with a humble little donation. If you go to our Patreon page, link in the description, there are options to donate at $1, $5, $10, or $20. The donations will go towards helping us with future projects, such as launching an Herbal Education Curriculum, we've dubbed the People's Herb School, as well as funding to help take this show on the road and do some on-site reviews and interviews at herb farms and schools and other interesting places relative to our podcast. And we just did our first live podcast at the Asheville Herb Festival, so we're really excited and we're hoping to do more. And um, in the future, those events will be available at the $5 donation tier
0: that episode was an up and coming release so we don't have it there yet
1: yes it's, it's not up yet it should be up uh this this summer Yes.
0: <laughs> well today is an amazing milestone because we've hit the 50th episode mark so well done jennifer on brainstorming and launching this little project
1: Woo-hoo! yeah i can't believe that um ellen came on at episode 13. i looked back and we've done thirty-seven episodes together. And yeah, this is our third, our third year. So yeah, we've got a lot of great, great episodes. We encourage everyone if you haven't listened to the older episodes, please do, because there are some amazing herbalists. Because I started out just enter- interviewing herbalists, and they are a little rough because I didn't edit it. Because I started out as lives on YouTube, but they're amazing. Some of them are like two hours or over two hours yeah it's been crazy it was i guess it was a covid project which i didn't even realize the timing (laughs) on it but it really really was
0: (laughs) we've got authors we've got musicians we've got storytellers so yeah go to go to the back catalog in fact uh today is actually we wanted to do something special we uh reached out to you know, a lot of the people we talked to before sent them a list of questions. And then whoever got back to us, we've compiled their answers to share with you today.
1: Yes. Along with uh, our, some of our answers. <laughs> well, if you listen to us on Spotify, there is like a Spotify question. To The question will be, what is your favorite episode that you've listened to so far? Let us know and we'll... Um, We'll put the, uh, we'll mention your, your answers next, next time. <laughs> It'll be really, really interesting. Um, our, our number one episode, number one, listen to episode is our, um, and I'm going to mispronounce his name is the, um, one straw revolution, the book we did.
0: Oh, the review it, by, uh, yeah. For the book by Masanobu Fukuoka.
1: Yes. That is our most. Listen to episode. So I was thinking about maybe we should think about doing his other book. He has another book. Yeah, I'm just so surprised. I was just like, wow.
0: Well, I guess that book's been out since like the 70s. It's got some staying power. <laughs> I mean, it's really good,
1: and I'm really glad that that <laughs> it's a it's a really neat book. So I'm glad that people are are interested in it. And still, still,
0: I mean, it's still valid, all of those things that he mm-hmm. talked about. So our first question to our esteemed guests was, what are some of your favorite kinds of plants, trees? What about them do you like? What are some of the ways they help you connect with the natural world? And kicking it off, Kaelin Otto of the Unruly Travel Blog and author writes, One of the coolest trees that I learned about this year in Ecuador was the walking palm. We were taking a tour in the Amazon with a local and he pointed this tree out to us. The tree looks like it has legs and travels about two to three centimeters per day, some believe. The tree is walking towards the sunlight. Of course, I love travel and I love to see other plants in nature being so active and traveling after what they want. that's
2: really
0: cool.
1: Yeah. I'm definitely never heard of a plant that moves like that.
0: <laughs> Makes it reminds me of um for a few years I worked in a plant nursery and my chores on the regular was to go into the hoop house and detangle all of the clematis vines from one another because they would start to grow out of their own pots up each other's trellises. <laughs> we were trying to sell the individual potted plants, so we had to. But I mean, it was literally like a daily occurrence that you had to go do that. I mean, you could have probably sat there and stared at the plants and seen them move. That's how fast they grew. And Can I was you, like, fast. separate them
1: on like, okay, you go in your corner <laughs> and you go in your. So like maybe the creep was slower. I don't. I don't know. That's <laughs> is lisa wagner author of uh, positive pagan this is her answer and she's actually uh episode 49 the last the last interview that we did uh, so she says mugwort always it's prevalent here and always helps me feel grounded also good for beneficial sleep and trillium such a magical plant and it feels like you find a treasure when you see one blooming.
0: Oh, I love that she put it that way because I grew up, you know, down the mountain from here. So one of the first times um, that I went out for a hike after having moved up here into the mountain, this was over a decade ago. So excuse my ignorance, but I I found some and I thought, wow, this is such an awesome plant. And I didn't even know that it was like something that was so... Um, known in the appalachian mountains at that time i just knew that it was like she said very magical looking and i decided i would transplant one uh into a planter bed next to my apartment and it was in full sun in a brick planter up against a brick wall <laughs> that thing melted yeah and i was like oh no and i'm like yeah didn't even you know wasn't thinking about biome needs at that time. Just like, oh, cool plant. Plants can grow anywhere. I'll just plant it wherever I want. Yeah.
1: Right, when you're just first sort of, I guess, learning and encountering plants, some things you just don't know to think about.
0: And <laughs> some treasures are better left untouched.
1: Yeah, I mean, you only got one, and so not too much harm, I mean, maybe to <laughs> that plant, but. That uh, too much harm done, you were careful about, about that.
0: Well, conservationist and climate activist, and my little sister, Kat Selm, writes My favorite flower is the bottle gentian. I love gentians in general because they're gorgeous, and most of them are colors and shapes that are striking to see in nature. The bottle gentian, in particular, is so cool because of its pollination syndrome. Pollination syndrome is how the flower structure, type, shape, and color varies by the type of pollinator that visits them. The bottle gentian is only pollinated by bumblebees, as they are the only ones with the strength to pry open the flowers.
1: That's cool. You know, I, I was thinking I should have had pictures of the uh, the plants to, you know, pop in here. Maybe I'll be able to get them, so... <laughs> If you're watching on YouTube, you might see pictures of these plants because you might not know what they are. I don't know what a bottle tension looks
0: like. I'm pretty sure they grow in the mountains around here. I'm thinking she's pointed them out to me before. And most of her love of flowers is from having grown up around these mountains because she lives
1: it out,
0: out west now. Out west, a very different, uh, you know, landscape to have to learn. So
1: very different, definitely. Yeah, if I can, if I find, I'm able to pop in pictures, I will. Everyone can see what those plants look like if you are not already familiar with them. Organic hemp and medicinal herb farmer, Lori Burra, she writes, my favorite tree is linden. American species is brasswood. And she has a Latin name, which I cannot pronounce. Tilia tomentosa. Nice. That's a good one. I first learned about Lyndon from
0: Juliet. Oh, no.
1: Do you know how to pronounce her last name?
0: I would just guess it's Barcali Levy? Okay.
1: We'll go with that. Apology. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we got it wrong. When Rosemary Gladstar brought her to the Northeast Women's Herbal Conference over 25 years ago, she spoke about the folklore of Linden, how one with a heavy heart could sit with it, and the Linden tree would lighten one's heart. Turns out there's an avenue in Berlin, Unter den Linden. I had a German intern there a few years ago that told me Hitler had them all cut down when he came to power. I think I heard that before. It might have been from her. <laughs> I'm telling the story. They were pl- replanted after World War II. There was a huge Linden tree at a park near where I lived in South Orange, New Jersey. It was a gathering spot for moms with little ones. There's a line of them in Asheville, just outside the courthouse. It seems to me that nature finds a way to have them when they are needed. I planted one in the center of my main circular herb garden with a bench that I meditate on first thing in the morning. I find it helpful
0: and comforting. I was familiar with some of that with the folkloric association with linden and medicinally it working well with hawthorn as a heart tonic too so it's interesting that you know that that heart touching lightening the heart folklore is illustrative of a medicinal component but that was actually in the running Lin, both linden or Tilia, the latin uh derivative were in the running as names for my potential names for my daughter. So oh, wow. Hearing her share that <laughs> sweet story about that plant was like, oh <laughs>
1: I think Tilia would be a great name. Yeah. 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 I mean not that not that the name you picked was was not awesome. So we have a video response from the uh director
2: of the Appalachian School of Holistic Herbalism, Sierra Foley. trees and what about them do you like and what are some of the ways that they help you connect with the natural world well this is a great opportunity for me to mention my friend Frank cook who was a herbal mentor and teacher to many many people across the world he introduced the concept to me of plants in your inner garden so I'm gonna talk about three plants in my inner garden and your inner garden you know that's the plants that are close to your heart um, so the first one would be mugwort and mugwort was one of the first herbs that i became interested in in my teens mostly because i was studying about magical herbalism and on my own self-study and discovered that it was great for dream work mm-hmm. and i'm a pisces and i do do a lot of work through my dreams i'm a lucid dreamer always have been and come up with some of my best ideas when my subconscious is most active, your subconscious and conscious is sort of melding um, that liminal space when you wake up early in the morning when you're waking and when you're going into your dream state. So mugwort helps connect you to your dreams. It helps you remember your dreams. It helps your dreams be more vivid and You can use it um, as a tea before you sleep. You can put a sachet or a bundle of it dried over your bed or make it into a dream pillow to enhance your dreams. It will make your dreams more vivid, so if you're prone to nightmares, you might not want to use it. Um, But it's also used to remove parasites in the body and spiritually or energetically it helps to remove energetic parasites so it's great for people who pick up other people's energies or any healers to clean their tools that they use on people um, clean your stones clean your crystal ball um, smudge your house if you have other people's energy in there attaching to you and it's just a real magical dream dreaming herb um, you can smoke it as well to enhance your dreams and have uh, light visions and i used to be on dead tour when i was younger and i remember a friend coming up to me and saying oh there's Sierra. i know she's got some mugwort we can smoke so that always uh makes me laugh when i think about that but it was one of the herbs that i really connected to first on a deeper level another would be yarrow that's in my inner garden yarrow is sometimes referred to as a first aid kit in an herb. So it's great for wounds. It's antiseptic, antibacterial, antiviral. Great to wash a wound externally or internally for wounds as well. It stops bleeding. Um, so it's a great first aid herb. It's also great for fevers. And the story goes, the botanical name is Achillea millefolium. And it's named after Achilles. And the story goes that when Achilles was born, his mother made a tea of yarrow and dipped him in it. And the only place where he wasn't covered by the tea bath of the tea, yarrow tea, was his heel where she held him. So that became his weak spot, his vulnerable spot, the Achilles heel, if you will. And it's also said that where Achilles was cut on his heel, wherever his blood dropped, yarrow sprang forth. And soldiers would put a little bit sprig of yarrow in their buttons for protection energetically, but also because if you were wounded, it would help stop bleeding and uh, stave off infection. So I love that story. It actually gives me chills to think of it because it's such a protective herb. It really helps um, protect your energy the flower essence is used to protect people's energy. Also, again, who work with people and take on their energy. Empaths. Um, um,
1: okay, and we got a second part, but I'm... And we'll... Hopefully to match up.
2: still <laughs> ball. Um, smudge your house if you have other people's energy in there attaching to you. And it's just a real magical dream, dreaming herb. Um, you can smoke it as well to so mm, enhance your dreams wow. and love. Uh, only place where Let's see if she... was cut people's energy also again energetically, which we know is there's really no difference. Um, Elder would be my third. Uh, Elder is another herb that has tons of magical lore behind it associated with it it said you should never cut the elder tree without asking it because it bleeds a red sap um, and it's protected by the fairies and the queen of the fairies Um, so i really just you know we know elder has become popular as an antiviral and it is really one of our strongest antivirals in nature and most effective and it's gentle as well as a lot of herbs are gentle and powerful at the same time. Um, You can also sleep under the elder tree uh, during May Day or May Day Eve, Beltane Eve, to see the Queen of the Fairies. And I have just a beautiful stand of elder that just volunteered itself in my yard and I really just love it when certain plants offer themselves up to me and make themselves known for me to work with and go deeper with and it's just really empowering especially during covid to have this plant that's so effective for viruses um, on hand in the yard great for fevers the flowers as well um, and we know from harry potter that the elder wand is actually extra potent as well the wood has been used uh, historically uh, to protect the home to protect babies in their crib so lots of magic as well as practical uses with elder so those would be three of my favorite plants in my inner garden
0: nice yeah lots of uh detailed info there that's awesome yeah. Well, or she's in, like the story, the Achilles story. That's cool.
1: But she's a teacher. So you yeah. can really, really yeah. tell it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I got to, I think she's, her school is going on all online. Um, now it used to have a physical location here in town. And I, that was one of the first schools I, well, the second, the second, I my first official school I I went to, way back, way back when. <laughs> so I I still have my notebooks and everything. And I still remember. That was the first time I met her. I don't know if she remembers me, but because it was from from then, because it was such a long time ago. Was she teaching, at that point? Yeah. And we went to we get to go to her little her house. Um, and which was really fun. It's just a little- um, Just do a little plant walk or something. a little cabin and yeah, we did, we did. She had, uh, that's actually like really the first time I heard about Mugwort mm-hmm. and uh, I remember Comfrey and I remember she told a story where like the Comfrey accidentally got mowed over. And if you mow a lawnmower over Comfrey, you will get a lot more Comfrey
0: i wish it didn't didn't, it didn't wasn't, work mine wasn't so lucky oh no it, it accidentally got hit and it uh and never quite recovered from that i didn't have um as much story anecdote for my answer as i would like it was more just like oh but i like this oh but i like this oh um, okay. but i like this I. this came to mind just mainly because of the time of year but um I, I really love weeping cherry trees especially in bloom Um, Followed closely by the pink dogwoods. And I'm not even the hugest fan of the color pink. But something about these delicate pastel shades as some of the first things that pop out in the spring it just makes my heart so happy and i i seriously point out every weeping cherry that i see to whoever's nearby to hear me and and i get weeping cherry envy and i say things like whoa look at that specimen there it's amazing <laughs> every single time <laughs> and then maple trees those have always been comforting to me probably because one of the first houses we lived in when i was little had two big ones right in the front yard that I played under a lot. And I would jump in the leaf piles that my dad would rake and stuff. And, you know, maples get some of the most vibrant color, at least around here in the fall, which is also cozy to me. And, you know, what's cozier than pure maple syrup, right? <laughs> and then for flowers, too, I like small blooms that are on the ends of long spindly stalks, like your coreopsis, your poppies, your guara, because to me, they just always make me think of like, they're like the flower equivalent of of fireworks bursting from their buds. And hookerah, which is a shade plant, aka coral bells is a common name. They kind of marry some of those aforementioned traits where they get the various leaf colors, as well as the small flowers on the tips of spindly stalks. So that's just all aesthetics, though. That's just like... Seeing it makes me happy. As far as more commonly viewed as useful plants, I'd probably have to say that some of my favorites are the ones that I ended up liking enough to get tattooed around my ankles going up my legs. And that's all ones that I've had luck with and an affinity for personally, medicinally, and that stinging metal, maca root, ginseng, thyme, mullein, dandelion, comfrey, there's that comfrey again, and ginger. A whole herbarium. <laughs> I just went from the, to the top layer on down.
1: <laughs> so I've always liked the weeping willow trees. You know, they're like a umbrella in tree form. You know, canopy.
0: Like, did you ever go under one when it was raining and see how much it would keep you dry?
1: I did not. <laughs>
0: they're pretty pretty effective. Oh,
1: okay. So my parents were hippie-ish, I guess. And we lived in Brooklyn when I was younger. And they belonged to a bungalow colony in upstate New York. So we had a bungalow where we would go in the summer. And there was a pool and because in the city we had a little backyard, but you don't and there's a parks, right? But you don't get the nature. And so I was really glad that my parents did this thing. So in the summer we got we got the nature. It was a really tiny small town in upstate New York called Ellenville, if you're familiar with it. I don't know if it's bigger now. It had, like, one general store called Ola Jars. Really weird name. We used to get bazooka bubblegum. But anyway, they had a big, across the street, was yeah, there was a, there was this old house, this old farmhouse, but they had a big Weeping willow tree, and it was just gorgeous. Powerful
0: presence to to stick in stick with you in your mind's eye, you know, to see that as a kid and be like, whoa, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I guess in
1: my brain, I I I quote it with like movement and flexibility, and I've always had kind of some issues with that in my life. It's a good reminder of trying to be a little more of that. And then I like the oak tree because it seems very strong and solid. And then growing a nice up, juxtaposition yeah
0: movement of the willow yeah. and then
1: the fatness yeah. of the oak <laughs> in like a true libra oh i know right <laughs> we had a big one in our yard growing when i was growing up huge oak tree and it was very sad when it died we had to cut it down Oh. it was yeah it was really 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 sad it was human it must have been like Four or five hundred years old, it was huge, wow. it was huge. And in the stump of the tree, ended up growing a big mugwort patch,
0: <laughs>
1: so it was just all around this. And it wasn't there before the tree died, interesting, but it was there after. It was just like and we just left the stump there, and it was just all around and huge, huge mugwort patch. That so was really cool. All right, so question two is, what are some ways you've been contributing to the story of your community, things you're doing, teaching, practicing, providing, etc. This is from Kaylin, and they say, I feel like I contribute to the story of my community by sharing stories of normally marginalized voices on my podcast. For me, my community is now the folks I live near physically, but also a wider one socially, full of queer folks, vegan folks and activists. I like to hear different perspectives from different people and how they interact with nature and travel. And lately, I've been loving to dig into topics like what does it look like to be queer in the country? Or what does it look like to love the country culture, but also be vegan? I contribute to my community by sharing my own personal stories through my blog and book and also highlighting the voices of others.
0: It's a, definitely a an awesome journey to follow their stuff, uh, their writing and podcast.
1: Yeah, the podcast is, is really good and you can hear definitely some stories that are not told very often from perspectives that are also not, you know, told... Very often, but should.
0: Uh, Let's see. So Lisa Wagoner says, uh, I've been adding to the rich writer history of Asheville by having a book published, but also by teaching and offering healing work via my work at Of Wand and Earth, our podcast, Mystic Tea, and at local festivals.
1: Conservationist and climate activist Kat Selm writes, Through my job, I am fortunate to be building a public access space to nature for my community. It's a community that has limited access to nature and currently has no access to the river that runs right through it. I really get excited when I think about the future generations that are now going to grow up, learning about, and
0: engaging with this river and natural spaces. She took me to uh, see this park project whenever I went to visit her in 2021. And it literally is like you drive out into the middle of all these California ag fields down this dirt road past like a car garage and a couple other industrial places. And you end up in the middle of this you know, scrub lands where this uh, watershed um, moves through. And all that area back there where the, the waters, the river's running through is um, protected land uh, is, under conservation, but it was, it's just been sitting, you know, like they haven't, uh, they've been protecting it, but that's it. And so being so nestled in the way that it is, I could see why they were thinking like, you know, the community can have more buy-in
2: mm-hmm.
0: that knows why it should care. And in order to know why it has to be able to experience it. Right. So that's been pretty much I think since she got hired out there, so going on a few years now, this has been an undergoing project to get it um, to the point where there can be trails and a little picnic shelter and education boards and stuff put out for public access purposes. And they've done some community days and already and had like sneak previews, you know, yeah. stuff they've hosted for the community to come out and see. And it's, it's gotten people excited because they're like, oh, I didn't even know this was back here, you know, and. So yeah, they they officially will be opening it this year. We're supposed to go do a, a family trip out there later this year to actually go see it in its final officially open state. So that'll be exciting.
1: That's so cool. Maybe we should have Ronnie in to chat about this project. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> show
0: you some pictures. What, what, a, what, a, what updates from our guests? What have you been up to? That'd be fun. Slideshow.
1: <laughs> yeah, or, uh, you know,
0: I was thinking
1: that maybe she knew someone I mean, this is totally a tangent, but I was also thinking that maybe she knew someone else who uh, works in a similar field uh, to come on the who would want to come on the podcast because we don't have too many science science yeah. people, and I think that would that's always really interesting.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure you get some recommendations, even maybe possibly from her connections here back east you know some somebody that we could go somewhere that we could go potentially in person and stuff
1: Ooh. in person ah
0: it yes Speaking of weird concept <laughs> right. we still have to readjust to the in-person life after the last couple of years <laughs> yes. oh yeah that's a real yes things can really happen but speaking of somebody who always has some great pictures to share too mm-hmm. Herb farmer, Lori Burra, she writes, I consider earth and the natural world to be my community. As such, I participate monthly with an intentional group, uh, through Perlandra limited, I think I said that right. That connects with nature through use of flower essence to help the land that I'm responsible for and all that inhabit it to deal with the effects of climate change and its effects. In this capacity, I feel responsible for the land that I steward and live on. This is especially important because I grow medicine here. Plus, this land was originally used by the Cherokee people to raise medicine as well. I invite people to come here to learn and to connect with the land and the plant world in the field and in the forest. You can look up Herb Mama is her business name for the products she makes. Um, and then Greenheart Gardens is the name of her farm in Candler, North Carolina, and she does take woofers and teaches classes out there and stuff like that so and
1: and periodically calls for like i need someone to help me do this so just straight straight out volunteers you follow her on her social media you'll see her very occasionally post that i'm you could also probably just contact her say i want to help out she's going to be working with yale
0: yeah so we're pretty excited to hear that she got invited to be a guest teacher about forest farming through yale university well how do you follow up that act um i've i had been running my own business focused on holistic health and offering various community events out this way you know celebrating music and art and other things that can help you know have a happy healthy life in addition to urban nutrition classes but it took a bit of a a backseat initially because of covid and then more so once i got pregnant so now i've decided i uh to pass the torch along i just sold the business but i, I still keep some immediate community involvement because i'm going to be on the board for the local farmers market that's something that i can reasonably handle right now while juggling a baby i'll get back out there more again in the future plus you know we got this going on so
1: yeah
0: and be <laughs>
1: And so we interview so many people who are doing so many cool things, and it's like, "What are you doing?" I'm interviewing people, uh, but they were like, "Oh, that's cool." Um, so basically, yeah. So I put down I'm working on this podcast, yeah, and helping local herb communities share their story and other people too.
0: We hope to keep keep the mix exciting.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So question three, share an inspiring, beautiful moment that you experienced uh, in, with, or from nature. And Kaylin Otto says, a beautiful moment I experienced with nature. To be honest, I have a hard time finding that one magical or transformative moment in nature, but I have little tiny ones all the time. For example, I run a few times a week, but it's certainly not about the running. It's about my mental health and being outside. The favorite part of my run is laying in the grass when I'm done and feeling myself breathe and be alive while listening to the birds and feeling the sun and noticing the wind around me. It makes me want to be alive just so I can experience that sweet perfection. The feeling of feeling centered, whole, grounded, and alive like the natural world around me. Very nice. And also, I agree because it's very hard to just try to think of one, aha, sort of (laughs) moment when you know it's all the cumul- accumulative little things that are that l- literal breath of fresh air so this is from lisa wagner
1: once when walking around unc a kellogg center i felt the presence of the goddess i look up i looked up and i saw a grove of three trees a bit entwined and they looked and felt so maternal and loving i cried It was the source of the energy I had felt when I walked by.
0: Wow. It's a very sort of little, yeah, enlightenment moment. Kat Selm says, when I lived alone out west for the first time, I was exploring and rock hounding almost every weekend or finding amazing places outside at work all the time. Pottery from tribal people, fossilized fish scales and ammonites. One of the coolest finds was a beautiful 3.5 to 4-inch long, perfectly preserved obsidian arrowhead. We were on Paiute land when I found it, and my boss at the time was Paiute. It made him tear up when we saw it. He took so many pictures of it. Before we took GPS points for cultural resources and laid it back to rest where we found it on the ancestral homelands. If this is the job I'm thinking it was, I know she had at one point had to go out and mark wherever there was particular at-risk species that needed to be preserved and protected from drilling operations going on and stuff. But because they were out in the bush country as such, they would find neat things like that.
1: Lori Burrow writes, I work with nature as an equal and intelligent partner and Pan, the Greek god of nature, as the head of the all, sorry, as head of all the nature spirits. I was at a dear friend's house on a lake with our children. My friend was watching the kids so I could have a break. I wasn't sure Pan existed, so in my meditation, I asked Pan for confirmation of his existence. Rather quickly, I heard I looked up, there was a cloud that clearly resembled the pictures I'd seen of Pan looking down on me. It was a goat head with horns, curly beard, and a mischievous smile. The expression on Pan's face quickly turned stern and clearly heard him shout, Get inside now! The sky suddenly turned dark, and while we gathered the children, there was some fierce thunder. We barely made it in time when it began to rain very hard. My friend who had lived here for 20 years said she had never seen rain come in so quickly or heard it rain so hard. I understood clearly and hadn't doubted since, although I'd have Pan help me with the weather.
0: That story's like, a, oh, I'll show you. <laughs> How about <laughs> this?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I, much like Kaylin, I know I have have those moments, those feelings At various places and points in my entire you know spanning my life of profundity you know amongst nature but consequently there wasn't just like one thing that really was jumping into my mind in that magical sense that certainly doesn't downplay the many moments that there's been it's just that there's been enough moments that i don't know something about the feeling when you're in them it doesn't translate to words. So I've opted to go with a funny story instead. And I don't remember if I've told this on this podcast or not. So if you've heard the story before, eh, whatever, you can hear it again. It's From, a the, sorry, from the title, I don't remember it. Okay. Uh, so um, the first time my husband and I decided we would go on like a long distance multi-night backpacking trip out in Colorado. We went up into this area called Mount of the Holy Cross or the Holy Cross wilderness and gorgeous place. I'd never seen anything like it in my life to that, up to that point, it was like being in the Swiss Alps or something. Uh, We specifically chose to go at like peak wildflower season. It was freaking amazing. And we were camping down in this like little bowl where there were these like tiered lakes blue and green water and all this and then we we decided to hike up to this rocky saddle and peek over the other side once we got up to that point you know we were like thirteen thousand plus feet and there was a bunch of marmots that lived in the rocks up there and marmots are uh related to groundhogs but unlike groundhogs which are more solitary marmots live in big communities and i guess maybe just because they lived where they lived they were just not afraid of people they were just very curious there was a couple of them that kind of started to sort of skirt along and follow us as we were going up the trail and i i thought you know they were the lookouts they're just keeping an eye on us so Mm -hmm. they can alert the whole colony if they need to or whatever well we get up to the top of this place and i had to use the bathroom (laughs) You're supposed to, like, you know, dig in and bury when you're out in the woods. And we're in this rocky saddle. Like, Mm, there's dirt. So I looked for just, like, a crevice among the rocks. And did my business. And, you know, was as minimalist about it as I could be, given the circumstances. Started to walk away. And the two marmots that had been following us circled around where they had just seen me go and we looked and the next thing that we saw was they were reaching down into the crevice like it wasn't it wasn't a marmot hole i promise you i didn't like accidentally <laughs> use the bathroom in the marmot's house but they were because they, they themselves were too big and fat to even like get all the way mm-hmm. down into this hole but they were reaching down in it and they pulled the toilet paper out and they just went whoa <laughs> like it was a streamer and uh james like scrambled to because he wanted to try to capture it on the film and we were just cracking up and they they one of them came right up to us and he was like on the rock like this with his camera and it walked like right up to his camera and put his put its hand on the camera and was like looking into the camera so yeah, that was a fun little like whoa yeah. like, up close and personal when, when nature calls and more ways more ways than one. <laughs> of course, we went was, and, like, cleaned back up the mess after the marmots had their fun. But yeah,
1: yeah, they were just like real curious. They're just like what I, is
0: I now. Like yeah, you should have packed that out. But uh, I was inexperienced at the time, and in my mind, I was like a little bit of toilet paper that'll dissolve in a heartbeat. So. Forgive me for my less than perfect leave no trace skills in the moment.
1: Well, uh, yeah, no, I definitely have not heard that story before. <laughs> it reminds me of all those like YouTube videos, the good, the good ones with the, the animals doing real cute, cute
0: stuff. <laughs> I feel like there should be like a Smokey the Bear style. Um, lesson in that like the little marmot wearing a ranger hat and he's like if you've got to go number two clean up after yourself when you do <laughs> there you go you just you just <laughs> Woo-hoo!
1: question four you had to pick what is your favorite season and why and kalen writes if i had to pick I would say that summer is my favorite season. I'm not a huge fan of the heat, It's simply because summer is the best time to swim in North Carolina. There is nothing better to me than swimming in, slash laying down in a cool river bed and feeling the river flow over me or carry me downstream. I love whitewater rafting and finding waterfalls. So summer is a season of water for me. I dream about it all year long.
0: A good area to live for that, that's for sure. And it's honestly, it's probably the only body of water that doesn't completely intimidate me either. Cause like, I'm not the greatest swimmer. So like pools are okay. Cause they're a controlled environment, but I, I don't want to be in all the chemicals all the time. And then like the ocean is just like, whoa, like ocean. I humble myself before the, uh, won't go out very far, but like these mountain creeks. Yeah. yeah. They're nice. They're cold. Yeah, very cold. That's, that's, that's why, why you have to wait till summer to go yeah. in the water around here. That's
1: why I do <laughs> like,
0: And then half the time you hike all the way out there, and then it's, like, cool because you're under the cover of the trees, and then maybe a storm's rolling in, and so there's cloud cover, and then you're like, oh, man, like, I just got all the way out here to go swimming, and it's too cold to even want to get in the water. But some days, it's like they described, where it's just the perfect amount of, of heat where you're just like, ah, This is refreshing. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be like August. (laughs) And Lisa Wagoner says, spring. Nothing beats spring in these beautiful mountains. The beautiful plants and flowers and the trees are blooming. Kat writes,
1: spring again. No question. Spring equals wildflower season.
0: Lori Burra says, my favorite time of year is late summer because it's so full of life while being so peaceful, and I can enjoy the fruits of my labors without doing as much tending. The world is full of harmonic and peaceful sounds, as even the insect world is enjoying itself. This is especially true for in the woods. These plants take longer to reach their maturity, so late summer is the best time to see them at their best.
1: Okay, and then we have a video response from Sierra
2: Foley spring I'm a spring baby and I just love watching all the spring ephemerals pop up and all the wild herbs regrowing it's just such a wonderful time of hope and regeneration and rebirth and excitement with everything springing forth Um, I also love that you can still see so many herbs and spring flowers wildflowers coming up but you can still see the forest through the trees so you still have a wonderful vantage point long range because everything hasn't completely leafed out yet um so i just adore spring it's definitely my favorite
0: nice
1: those are good good points good reasons yeah and i apologize if sierra is a little low in the volume
0: She so has a very gentle voice.
1: Yeah, hopefully you can hear that.
0: It's interesting to me how the the draw to the seasons has changed for me over the years. Um, I used to always say winter because I was born in the winter. And I've always been introverted, and so winter just kind of embodied that sort of peaceful chosen solitude in me and I still find winter to be a time of reflection and drawing inward and I understand now in a bigger way that that's also you know what the natural world is doing too so it's best to live in tune with that but then I started to say autumn because it's that sort of liminal in between that's a welcome reprieve from the summer and somehow it's also more consistently warm and cozy and inviting Compared to winter, winter's a little more um, standoffish in a way, I guess. But autumn feels more like a time of loving and sharing. So it's no wonder that so many cultures have harvests and Thanksgiving-type celebrations at that time of year. And then more recently, I grew to really embrace the spring. And I think it's mostly when I finally got a house in the countryside and started to grow more things and be surrounded by what was already growing. And getting submerged in nature in the seasonal cycles at, at my doorstep that's such an enlivening and energizing time of year, really, to to be witness to. Summer's still always been my least favorite season, and that's probably because the only places I've Lived have all had hot, humid summers, and I'm not a fan of that uh, being sticky. But maybe if I had gone to public school or something, I would have relished the summer more as that escape from the rigidity. But I homeschooled, so that's neither here nor there. But I, I can respect summer in its place, doing what it does and being how it is, because there's a certain feeling of satisfaction when you're like working or playing outside all day. You get, you know, you're sweating buckets, you get dirty, and then you know, you kind of cap it off with some a wonderful, cool, refreshing shower or swimming in a creek like Caitlin pointed out and sitting outside in the evening listening to insects and the frogs, sipping a cold drink out on a big front porch, you know. That's all where it's like, ah, the, the relaxation of the summer. And now I have a child that was born in summer. So that kind of gives summer a new depth of meaning to me. It's like, you're going to like summer whether you like it or not. <laughs> whether you want to or not. Here you go, baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I went to public school and the uh, summer was still hot and <laughs> but
0: we were off school. So if you had to pick.
1: Yeah, um, I, I like fall. You know, the weather is less humid. It's kind of like that perfect temperature, not kind of hot, not kind of cold. And I've always liked the colors of the fall. I was born in fall, um, actually peak peak leaf season
0: <laughs>
1: in October. I guess I've always liked it. It's always been my favorite. Although as I've gotten older, I, I do feel like I've gra- gravitated more towards like the heat, but more of like the drier heat where like my parents live in Texas it's a drier heat so I tend to like some of that a little bit more although i I've, I've never been there when it's 100 degrees or up and I never want to be
0: yeah <laughs> no, that is too humid there too. Too well last. I guess so but like you know in the case of fall that's like a heat where it's like you're choosing to go get cozy by a fire or a bundle right. up versus, you know, oppressive heat that you can't hardly escape. <laughs> right, or or cold. Yeah. Or cold yeah. where you're we wearing, like, a billion Yeah.
1: layers.
0: Or which it's like I... you have to do a whole different level of discomfort to be comfortable in the discomfort. It's like, how many layers can you put on?
1: <laughs> and now it's so weird because I'm starting to wear less clothing and so my clothes are so light. And I'm like, feel I like I'm forgetting something. It's just like, I'm just oh. forgetting something. I'm not wearing six layers and a really heavy, like,
0: sweater and hoodie. And just- that's because in these mountains, there's always those false springs where you're like, oh, it's 70 degrees today. Great. Oh, it might snow tomorrow. Great. <laughs> How do I dress for the occasion? Layers. <laughs> layers <laughs> is the answer. So, of course, we had to ask this question because we do so many great book reviews on our podcast. So, we asked everybody, read any good books lately? And Kaylin Otto says, yes, I am currently reading Dragons of Winter Night. It is a book in the old Dungeons and Dragons series that I didn't think that I would like, but I need a good fiction book to escape into or mentally fall into from time to time. And while I thought it wouldn't be my style, I actually really love all the imaginary worlds the authors have created, and they are magnificently intertwined with nature. And I love picturing the characters traversing the woodlands and fields and oceans together like one grand adventure.
1: It's funny because I actually, when I read this, I started listening to this book on tape. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, let me check it out. And you like it so far? Yeah, it's really good. I'm in the middle. And it's I've never really read any of the old style D D books and it's it's surprisingly really good. It's a trilogy, so there's three books. So Lisa Wagner wrote In the Forest, The Secret Language of Trees by Susan Tyler Hitchcock. Taylor, sorry, Taylor. Susan Taylor Hitchcock, which I am unfamiliar
0: with. Yeah, but based on the title, sounds like another one that'll be appropriate for us to cover some ground on at some point.
2: Uh, yes, it does, isn't it?
0: <laughs> and Kat Selm writes, I am currently reading Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass. Still can't believe we haven't done that book on this show yet, but it's coming.
1: Yeah, well, it's just, I think that's going to be a very, it's a dense book. I think I think it I deserves
0: wanna... a fine combing over. I think that's going to be a several parter. And she also says she's reading Doug Tallamy's The Nature of Oaks. The last chapter that I read of braiding sweetgrass was about Robin's college professor mother who formed an unlikely friendship with an elderly southern woman who lived in poverty. They shared a mutual love of gardening, and Robin's mother ended up being her chauffeur and even recreated a special Christmas memory for her friend. It reminded me of how my dad raised me and my sisters. He had many unlikely relationships, taking nearby mentally ill neighbors to the store and generally being a good Samaritan at a level seldom seen. And uh, yeah, that's definitely something that's passed on to us. I feel like me and my sisters have had some of those wayward relationships of people in passing that we've just helped out because we have saw that action taken uh with my dad i remember that chapter in, in braiding sweetgrass for exactly the same reason that she mentioned so that's cool that she got that out of it too if i remember correctly i think it was the chapter on the witch hazel and it was a tearjerker it's a really good one i usually don't remember that part but the book is
1: incredibly dense i listened to it once and i'm in a second listen to but i haven't picked it back up every time i listen to it i'm crying and so
0: it's it's when i'm like read one chapter i'm like okay i'll have to come back read i'm totally chapter. fine you know i'm at, i'm at work and i'm like
1: <laughs> which one we were all wearing masks was much easier to hide no. The
0: <laughs> top of the mask is catching, and 30, even soaking it. up your tears. <laughs> Lori Burrow writes, I
1: have been reading and working with Perlandra's garden workbooks to help me plan my gardens for the season. I also reread The Midwife's Apprentice because I love how it, it works herbs into its stories I would have loved society to be more open to midwives, so I could have been one. So we have a uh, video response from Sierra Foley.
2: Earth Conservation Corps. Hold on, let me, there right, we right go. Reading right now is Bird Brother by Rodney Stotts. And this was written by a man who began his journey with falconry, uh, mentoring and working for my uncle, Bob Nixon at the Earth Conservation Corps, which is a nonprofit that um, employs local at-risk youth to help clean up the environment in Washington D.C. and our name, in our nation's capital, and the areas around it that are struggling. And they helped to clean up the Anacostia River and bring the Bald Eagle back to DC. And it's the story of how his life was essentially changed by being in nature. And it really just makes me proud of my uncle. And um, my uncle was a father figure to me. And um, he really just inspired a lot of who I am today. And um, so it's really sweet. And he mentions my grandmother, who's also a big inspiration to me in the book. And one of his Falcons is named after my grandmother, at Agnes. Um, so it's really wonderful to be reading this right now. Oh, okay. Cool.
1: I guess I cut off a little bit. We had some technical that's in terms of technical difficulties, getting some those video. I
0: think it was, she was rounding it out though. That's, that's yeah. cool. I didn't realize that, um, yeah, I didn't realize she picked something that had a personal connection to it like that too. So that's really neat. My most recent read to completion has been Hunt, Gather, Parent by Micheline Duclef. She was apparently like a journalist with NPR or something like that. After she had her kid, and her kid was kind of hitting the like crazy toddler years, she was just thinking like, "Oh my gosh, there's got to be a better way to handle this." You know, she was trying so hard to not repeat mistakes she felt like her own parents had made with her, and maybe crying on cue. Um, <laughs> I guess she pitched the idea of the book and got permission from her. to to take it on where she basically goes and with her child who's only like a couple years old at the time she and the child go and stay with these um, remote communities in a a Mayan village in South America um, and then a tribe in a a bush tribe in Africa and an Inuit village in, in like the high Arctic circle and stays with them each for like months and just to learn their parenting styles and she kind of comes out of it learning that there is sort of some universal truths that that one could probably then surmise are historically human parenting traits versus what a lot of people at least in western cultures look at Mm -hmm. nowadays is really you know only been around for the last century at most and whatnot and uh, even non-parents would find the book enlightening because it's really just kind of reads like a really interesting anthropological study and you yeah. know, there's a lot of it where you read it and you're like oh yeah wow that that makes sense or you might even make you think like how would my life have been different if these approaches had been taken you know or or oh yeah i can relate to that i'm glad that was part of my life too you know it's pretty cool
1: okay so <laughs> when you're reading a bunch of these. Uh, really interesting uh, books that make you think you got to balance it out with a little bit of um, garbage. <laughs> so first, we have an epic piece of garbage, it's um, Warhammer. <clears throat> you might have heard about it. There's these books called The Horse Heresy, there's about 50 books in this group. Warhammer, there's like literally hundreds of books. If you go on the Wikipedia page, you will not stop scrolling. (laughs) It's a tabletop game. There's also video games based on it. You probably heard about it.
0: Yeah, I only knew it was a game, so I didn't know there were books.
1: It's about big, big guys who love war. It's not a good book. It's a good, bad book. The story is about these like immortal guys that were like born for the fighting and they're just humongous. They're not like regular humans. And it's basically the human war machine has taken itself to this the stars. It's sort of like when you take an idea and you you take it out to its exponential but yet kind of really ridiculous point. <laughs>
0: Well, I could see how, where you'd just be using it as sort of that um, unplugging your mind, decompressing, read after the serious stuff. I find it really
1: interesting. I feel like it has something to say. And I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm like, this, the people who wrote this book have something to say about these things that they're, yeah, and I don't know what it is. If you start the book, you will be lost because it's Around in time and with characters, but then you can you'll get unlost. And um, listening to the audio version, it's really fun to hear the voices of the the big men. I find it interesting that we both have baby books on our list. This is a book I haven't read yet. I just heard about it, and it is called without children, the long history of not building a mother, sorry, not being a mother by Peggy O'Donnell Huffington. H-E-F-F-I-N-G-T-O-N. And I do not have children. And I'm probably not going to have children. And it's really, I think not something that's discussed very often. Yeah. Um, and when you mentioned these parenting tips only being around for like 100 years or these ideas about parenting and that there was different ideas before that and in other cultures, she mentions that this idea of the nuclear family was, has only been is a recent development um, among other things. And that in the past, When people lived in closer communities, people without children would often help look after the people who had children's children. The parents got a break and the people who didn't have kids got a chance to look after children.
0: Yeah, it's like that saying, it takes a village mm -hmm. um, is very much... Like it's an idiom but it comes from a truth which is illustrated a lot in the hunt and gather parent book too where it's like yeah where where when humans lived in more connected collective societies the children in a lot of ways were the community's children you know they were the they were the the longevity of the tribe they were you know they mattered to everybody because it was the imprint of of survival in that sense to the whole community and it's kind of it's definitely kind of a shame that we've lost touch with that in 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 our globalized approach to things yeah both for the parents and the people who don't have <laughs> children Yeah, but well, because I feel like it created a, at least in sort of, quote unquote, modern Western civilizational models, it's created a a disconnect, you know, it's like we end up in this, with this issue now where some childless people hate children, and, or there's disrespect for elders, Mm -hmm. it goes both ways. Because, I don't know, I almost think that that probably funnels down a little bit more to the, the sort of me-me, self-absorbed thinking of whatever, capitalist, etc. societies. If even the childless person doesn't get the opportunity oh. to interact with generations before and after, it's like it's taking a piece out of the human puzzle,
2: the human mm-hmm. story,
0: you know? Yeah, But it's important that a book like that be written, too. For the cultures that transitioned away from that sort of communal model are also the cultures that invented the stigma of, like, the only thing a woman's worth is, is for mm-hmm. children, you know, and that you should feel obligated to do that and that somehow you're less of a woman if you don't. And that, you know, all that's a bunch of bullshit. I mean, based on the title of that book that I'm probably going to delve a little more into why it doesn't stand to reason that that should be any sort of obligation by any means.
1: Take away that support from the people who have kids. It puts a lot of pressure on them. They're by themselves raising a child, which probably is more difficult than raising a child in a community. Occasionally listen to NPR, so it was... Uh,
0: it was mentioned on there.
1: Yeah, it was mentioned on there on this show called 1A. They had a lot of women calling in and a lot of women writing in. I don't remember anyone mentioning health reasons, which is my reason, but also financial reasons is another environmental reasons. Mm -hmm. But apparently the statistics is, I think it's like 40% of the new generation are not going to have kids for any
0: reasons. And a lot of them are financial. So I actually stumbled across an article just recently. And I feel like there's probably been articles like this forever as sort of some weird scaremongering tactic because that's what it reads like but it'll be like millennials aren't replacing themselves at the same rate as previous generations so there's actually going to be a dip in the population
1: (sighs) i mean i think it's fine
0: like you know it's a big world you know like i don't think we need to worry about that at all
1: (laughs) i mean in that sense yeah but i i think that if people or want kids and then they can't have them for certain these reasons I think that it is an issue on a personal level for, for them.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, for um, sure. For sure.
1: But I think that if people don't want kids or if they do want kids, I'm fine with whatever happens. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. You just don't, sometimes it does happen and you didn't think it was going to happen or you didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I never, uh, it, w- it wasn't something I had put a lot of, Intentional planning into, you know, so that I'd be curious to read that book too because I'd just be curious to think of, to see how much that perspective I've also felt and experienced, you know, because I'm, I mean, I mean, she's only nine months old, so sometimes I almost feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome, I'm like I, what? what? I'm a mom. <laughs> that's weird (laughs) it
1: it is weird (laughs) (laughs) and ironically we are recording this on mother's day (laughs) happy mother's day to everybody question six what are your favorite practices for staying grounded calm content in trying times and kaylin wrote staying grounded in order to stay grounded, I really love nothing more than getting into child's pose in a quiet space by myself. It allows me to fully surrender physically and mentally and feel held. So child's pose, if everyone doesn't know, is a, is a yoga position.
0: Yes. A very, I say, pretty comfortable one. And Lisa Wagoner says, walking barefoot on the grass, touching soil, garden, or house plants. And holding some tourmaline. Kat Selm says,
1: "I'm still working on this one. Being out in nature reminds me of how small and insignificant my problems are, which really helps end an unhelpful spiral. Meditation, karmic work, and remembering that trials are just dharma gates are all a part of my Buddhist practice. But when I can do, I am being, I'm able to better handle life's trials and tribulations."
0: That's always the tricky part. Just being consistent with the things you know will help you. (laughs) And Lori Burra says, my favorite practice is to stay calm and grounded by meditating and holding the space between heaven and earth. I send my roots deep into the earth, wrap it around a rock I found a bunch of years ago. As I breathe in, I visualize my energy spiraling back up and spend some time in each chakra and after my crown, I send it about three feet over my head where I understand the higher self to be. And when I breathe in, I send the energy spiraling down and back into the earth. I spiral it to the opposite direction with an exhale. I find this to be extremely peaceful
2: and unearthly.
1: So Sierra Foley says...
2: The practice for staying grounded in trying times is being in or around water walking by the river, lullaby, um, swimming, fishing, uh, even just doing dishes, just putting my hands in water. It's scientifically proven that splashing cold water on your face or immersing yourself in cold water helps to regulate cortisol and stress response in the body. Um, I had a beautiful moment floating in the ocean uh, in my 20s where I looked up at the clouds and the trees and everything around me and felt so connected to nature and all of life and so supported as I just relaxed floating and realized that the same creator that created everything living around me, created me and not by accident and that I am supported and taken care of without effort, just like the plants, um, the forest, the ocean. And all living things so definitely being in water and back to books another the next book i'm going to read is blue mind um, and this is the science on how water um is so powerful has such a powerful effect on our body mind and soul and how it helps with ptsd creativity performance anxiety um, compassion, success, and improves our overall well being. So she was just making
0: a good case right there for going and jumping in those cold mountain streams. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I find
0: that cortisol.
1: <laughs> or even just if I go like just swimming at the, at the Y mm-hmm. um, or I, I take a bath, I pretty much take a bath every night. And it's just something about being in the water. Yeah, it's very calming.
0: I would say that out of necessity, I've had to learn breathing exercises in it. And I think it can sound hokey if you don't ever have to do them or haven't done them before. And I just say that because that's kind of how I used to think about it. I was just like, okay, well, I guess if it works for you, whatever. But I didn't know that they actually do work on a physiological level because it's triggering body chemistry that... It's calming the nervous system in order to halt that faint fight or flight response. So, yeah, it works. You, you don't just need people to, to tell you that, like, do it and, and you're like, oh, no, it actually does work. Um, but then also just sitting outside is great, too, you know, watching the clouds roll by and having no agenda, just kind of letting whatever comes up, pop up, and come and go, you know relaxing (laughs)
1: running going to the
0: sauna oh yeah yeah, the sauna is even kind of another sort of experience of water in a way
1: (laughs) yeah it's but it's that draw and heat and it's that dry heat it's
2: like
1: like the steam room is bad and when people go to the steam room like you're crazy no That's like hell. <laughs> like you put Florida in a box. No. <laughs> um, but the sauna is, is is real different. For about three thousand dollars. I can have a sauna in my house.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Life goals, life goals.
2: <laughs>
1: life goals. yes <laughs> um, But also yeah, taking a bath. And I don't really swim that well, but I've got these little fins, little flippers, and a cakeboard and a big noodle. And
0: Question seven. What values are important to you for crafting the kind of world you want to live in? And Kaylin Otto writes, veganism. I believe that to heal our natural world, we need to dismantle human supremacy and speciesism. The idea that, one, humans are better than all other animals because we claim to be more intelligent, and two, that some animals are more worthy of bodily autonomy, respect, and protection than others merely because we say so. Veganism is a social justice movement dedicated to reducing harm to our fellow earthlings whenever possible, and this protects our health and the planet in the long run." Uh, Animal agriculture is the leading cause of species extinction and deforestation, as well as ocean dead zones and a huge contributor to climate change. Those who truly want to protect the Earth should be examining this. I want a world where animals have bodily autonomy and we leave them the hell alone, as well as one where our planet is healthy and thriving. But aside from being a travel blogger, uh, that is Kaylin's other primary work is in animal rights activism. So and Kat selm writes, compassion, kindness, critical thinking, empathy, community, egalitarianism, and self-awareness. I think if we are to survive hard times as a species, these are the values that can save us. Not that can, that will actually, she said that will save
1: us. That will save us. Uh Lori Burrow writes, I come from a family with many members who survived concentration camps. They always value love and family above all else. As I said before, I feel the earth is my family and I envision a day where she gets the love and respect she deserves from us. I see companies having a division that consists that considers their effect on the planet as much or even more than profit. Oh, that would be so nice. <laughs> um game changer. Hello. I see people treating each other as they want to be treated again with love and respect.
2: And can there
1: be
0: need if we, um, do yeah. you even know what she was trying to say? Yeah. Can there be need if we care and respect others? So yeah, like how yeah. when we say that there's people in need, her point is, well, if everybody's caring for and respecting others, how can needs like that even exist you know
1: I, I think this is like one of the favorite things that I've heard, heard her say It's just you encounter this every day
0: yeah the uncaring yeah and, and uh, it yeah. Only takes it only takes the slightest little mo- t- moment of pause to break away from yourself and consider other, you know? Like to like so many people are just so focused in mm-hmm. their own go, 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 and inadvertent either directly because of their attitude, because they're miserable, or inadvertently because they're so tunnel visioned, stomping on other beings, you know, other people and other beings. <laughs> um and, and and if if we just take a breather, take a minute step back and be like you know and maybe it's because of growing up in the south or something but you know there's even like debates about like you know patriarchy in terms of people holding doors open for you or whatever but it's like Mm -hmm. people should hold the door open for each other people should hold the door open for each other and that statement can be literal or it can be metaphorical in a much broader sense you know like as a representation of that extended thought to others
1: so here is a video response from sierra foley
2: important to me for cre- the values that are important to me for creating the type of world that i'd like to live in and have others live in are honesty integrity uh, compassion and clear communication in our modern world of sound bites and so many distractions, I feel like we are increasingly losing um, our abilities to connect and communicate and to learn from each other. So, learning and teaching is another one, um, and listen to each other and have long conversations and share varying opinions. And I think the more we can practice the, these things, the more. Authenticity we grow within ourselves, which makes us healthier humans and in turn makes healthier families and communities and the world within which we live. Okay. All
0: these answers are, it's nice that they're also kind of interrelated because along the lines of what I was already saying, my answer was just going to be yeah, like doing things, making choices with your actions and your words in your day-to-day life, consciously and intentionally, that fosters calm and contentment and peace. And then looking for ways and being open to ways that you can let that ripple out for the betterment of others, both human and non-human. Because, you know, if we if we can kind of ground our, ourselves and make it a, a goal to achieve that calm and contentment, I think that inevitably it it is going to start to sort of have that ripple out effect.
1: Sort of like by example of what you're doing, hopefully will someone will notice and be, you know, impacted in a positive way by by that. Something that you can
0: share, you know? Oh, yeah. Willingly, too.
1: There's this idea which I really like about, like, you want the world to be different, but first you have to sort of have a process where you dream about what that world might look like and I think that this question kind of speaks to that where we're all thinking about
2: Mm -hmm.
1: the world is this way and uh."
0: right right like it's not enough to just be like I hate the way that these things are it's like okay well then if that's where you leave it then that's where you're stuck right Mm -hmm. and then the next step is but can you dream of what a better story would look like And then this next step from there is like, okay, well, then how can you embody that Mm -hmm. as best as you can in the framework you're given to see it be at least somewhat of a reality? Because one, you're going to, it's going to be better for your life and mental health and so forth. But two, you never know, maybe it'll just end up having a butterfly effect, making a bigger impact.
1: Like, why is it like this? Why can it be a different way? There's so many ways there's got to be other ways to structure things. And then I recently heard about intentional communities, which sounds a little culty, but I don't think it is. It's um, some people who have gone out and chosen to live together in a community and chosen to do things differently. And then there's a whole bunch of different ones. And apparently there's like a website with a list of them you can go visit. and, And I was just like, that's really interesting because they're they're trying to live a different way. Strength in numbers. (laughs) Well, that's true because I think some of them are probably doing a lot of some off-grid stuff, some other things you need community to do these things. And you never hear about them. You never hear about these other ways or people even like thinking about them in the society. You're like, oh, it's this way. And everyone's like, well, I'd like it to change. And then they leave it at that, but mm-hmm. well, we can't change it. That's how things are. That's how things always are. That's saying that's how they're going to be in the future. That's how they've always been in the past. And you're like, and no. but I was going to be in the future. We don't know that anyway. So that's what I feel like. That's why this, I like this question question eight is what is a favorite quote and or words to live by and Kaylin says. No favorite quote or words to live by. I do love Glennon Doyle saying, we can do hard things.
0: So Wagner writes, have zero expectations. You can only go up from there. And that was her own quote from her book, Positive Pagan. She's so cute. <laughs> it's by me.
1: I would have done the same thing <laughs> if I wrote a book.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, words to live by are pretty powerful if you're fortunate enough to even be swayed you know, by your own word and thought like that. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Cat writes, there is a thoughts
1: of loving kindness meditation I do sometimes. And the end line is, may all beings be well and happy. You can't beat that. And you you cannot.
0: (laughs) And Lori Burra says, my favorite quote is by George Washington Carver. A weed is a plant growing in the wrong place. Need I say more in this group?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another
2: video by Sarah Foley. It's from the Muppet movie, it's when Janice is in a crowd. They're all hanging out and partying and talking. And then everyone goes silent and it pans to Janice, who's still speaking and didn't realize the room was quiet. And she says, so if I, I told my mom if I wanna live in the woods and walk around naked it's my life okay Um, so i know that's kind of silly but i think about that a lot and it goes back to authenticity and uh, integrity and i really feel the more people live in their truth and the way that their soul really um leads them to live rather than what they have learned from their family or their upbringing or their generational trauma or society's rules or the television Um, the greater our world will be and something that blew my mind about the natural world there's so many things but something that stands out is the first time i learned in my early 20s that you could divide and regenerate plants by cuttings. Um, this was just so exciting to me that every like restaurant or public place I went in that had hanging baskets of plants, uh, I would like steal a little cutting okay. and take it home and propagate it. And I think it really just sparked this deep drive that I still have to share plants with people and share the connection to the plant world with people. And, spread this abundance of nature. Nature is so abundant. Um, There's never a lack. It's just taking the time to tap into it that we um, often miss. So
1: yeah. I think Mm -hmm. that was attached to maybe another question. It sounded like at the end, but that's fine.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, being, it, like you said she's a teacher and it kind of comes through storytelling. You know, it, it went from the quote part, which answered our question, which was the Muppet Muppet quote, but it just branched into that other thought. But it, it flowed. It was nice. I like that. My choice. Uh, and it's, you know, it's hard. I think there's a lot of cool things that I've read and heard, you know, over the years that I carry in me but there's this poem that I've come back to over and over in my mind since I first read it. I was like 17 or 18 years ago that I first came across the poem. And it's one of those things where I've, there's a a really good sort of naturalist storyteller I follow and hopefully we'll review some of his books sometime uh, named Martin Shaw. And he uh, encourages people to learn at least, you know, one song or one poem or one story like, like it's, Learn it like the back of your hand, you know, uh, in order to breathe life into it and carry it out into the world and pass it on and so forth. And this is one of those things to me. It's from a book called St. Nadia in Winter, Zen Encounters with Loneliness. And the poem is called Nothing to Prove by uh, Terence Keenan. I actually made up a tune to turn it into a song. I don't know, should I just quote the poem or should I sing the poem? up to you it'd be longer if i sing it Mm. okay so i guess i in essence time and baby fussing i'll just quote it (laughs) but because we come to spring both the stakes and the gambler putting our lives on the table as if life were ours the light of suspicion in our eyes recalls our own faithless breaths swayed by words we're wandering the wind looking for evidence of something not quite there a face proof we're not alone you're not alone my beloveds you cannot be alone i am the air you breathe and you are my very breath and because of you i cannot be sad in this world and what with all the breakdowns and so on who would say it hasn't been hard going along the way Do you look up at death there by the roadside, jingling chips of the fates in his pockets, watching us under the cutting north wind, the brilliant moon, the wild white clouds, not so much as there, but beside the point. And if you ask whether I regret starting out, my voice rises like a flock of finches at dawn and blows across the deep blue sky. And it's because of that poem why my daughter's middle name is Finch because when it became a surprise surprise you're going to be a mom and be like whoa if you ask whether I regret starting out my voice rises like a flock of finches at dawn Yeah, I come back to that a lot <laughs> for a lot of things not just motherhood but
1: <laughs> and mine and I have no idea who wrote it I could probably it's like a meme <laughs> there's um, so it's uh, small progress is still progress. Slow progress is still progress. And I could probably have looked it up and seen who actually wrote it, but I didn't have time to do that. So I apologize. Um, well, that's I, such
0: a important statement yes. in our modern, harried culture for sure to not be so hard on ourselves
1: yeah and and really like for me i can if i try to move at a a certain faster pace i get in trouble so i have to move slow even though i don't want to even though like my you know i can see the whole idea and i'm like that's the end i want to get there (laughs) but it's important to take the time. Because um, and I hate this other quote that it's about the journey, but it's about the journey. (laughs) You have to take you have to take this, you have to take the steps, you can't just jump to the end. And, uh, but also like, it helps to not get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Because like, okay, I did this little bit, it feels like I didn't do anything. But it adds up over time. Like this podcast it feels like i wasn't doing anything but it has added up to something over time and now we're here 50 50 episodes 50 episodes <laughs> and a lot of people that we have met and connected with and who we now know and have
0: get to learn from yeah yeah
1: and uh so that was that was cool so sometimes when you feel like you're not doing anything, you're doing something. You are. <laughs> it's just
0: slow progress is still progress.
1: Slow progress is still progress. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, question nine is: What is something you learned about in the natural world that surprised you or kind of blew your mind?
1: Um, okay. So Lisa Wagner writes: How incredibly resilient nature can be, no matter what hu- humans do. I watched a documentary on Chernobyl and plant life, and plant life is flourishing. Of course, we have to be careful, but I thought it would it would just be blackened out land. Instead, there are lush forests filled with plants.
0: Nice. Yeah, I remember um, doing the going on one of the annual Appalachian farm tours around here years ago. And one farm that I visited, the farmer was kind of just doing it as a hobby in his retired life. The land he had gotten had been previously used and chemically treated, and he was trying to clean it back up, going back towards organic practices. And he was talking about how he, for just like one or two seasons, planted cover crop for regenerating the soil. After that, you know, he was good to go. And I just remember feeling like, oh, wow, like he was able to get this land back to this like fertile, healthy and cleaner state after just waiting a season or two, you know, or, you know, and gr- growing these other plants intentionally that would mm-hmm. do some of that, that cleanup and regenerative work, of course. But like to me that it, it just, you know, oh, only a season or two, like it sounded so fast. So to Lisa's point, yeah it's incredibly resilient when you you give it the time and the means <laughs> yeah and i guess it also depends
1: on what was what kind of chemicals were used on the land cuz probably some of the chemicals takes longer to deal with um and especially with in relationship to chernobyl but i mean i guess you wouldn't want to eat those plants this is what she was mentioning yeah but they were growing which is what they need to do yeah
0: and cat selm writes woodpeckers wrap their tongues around their brain to protect them when they're drilling holes in trees and i also think that it's crazy that oak trees will make wasp galls for the wasps out of their own leaf tissue so that's interesting i never knew if it was the wasp caused that to the plant, but she's making it sound like the plant does it for the wasps. So, that's cool. That is cool. My answer was going to be, and I've here's my problem. I've read too many books. I, for the life of me, could not remember what book this was in because otherwise I would have reread the part to refresh my memory one, or even read it here to share. But I, I remember enough to just express the Shock and awe. Um, There was a book I was reading (laughs) that was talking about different naturalist things, and um, it was at one point it was talking about this one particular bird that it's here in North America that is just um, was being studied uh, because of its capacity for memory, and it was a bird that caches food stores for the winter, and it it could put, you know, nuts and seeds away and it would make a point to do it in all these different types of places because it knew that, you know, inevitably some of it was going to get stolen by other animals, right? So it wouldn't just like put all the nuts in in one tree or all the nuts in trees. It would put some under a fallen log and some in the ground and some here and some there. So it would, like under a rock. And so it would like deliberately pick hundreds of places to cache food within something like a 3,000 mile, like it was this insane radius that it would cover of caching and people who were studying it and tracking it were able to see that the bird could go back to every single one of those places. And remember where it put everything. It's like, how many humans wish they had that ability? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. <laughs> At least I could remember what bird it was and what book that was.
2: I'll oh, find yeah. it
0: again one day, <laughs> somewhere on these shelves.
1: Uh, all right, our last question: What is an accomplishment that you're proud of and would like to share? And Kaelin. Right. I recently started turning my eco-conscious travel blog into a business, and that is huge to me. I would one day love to focus on just storytelling about nature and travel and how all the topics I care about, wildlife, natural building, gender and the body, etc. intersect.
0: And Lisa Wagoner says, proud of finishing a book, getting it published, and that is helping people sharing our community via the podcast mystic Tea as well
1: kat selm writes i am proud of that my climate coalition got our city to start developing more sustainable and energy efficient housing by convincing developers to build this way we pivoted to focus on developers when we saw we weren't getting much traction from city council and so far it has been a successful strategy awesome
0: yeah, it's, it sucks that it seems like a lot of times politics are so entrenched that they don't want to rock the boat and risk their losing their next election. So it's like, okay, well then go go to the people actually doing the building. That, that makes sense. Lori Burra says, I am most proud of the three children I raised. Each is a productive member of society striving to make the world a better place. It was a long, hard road, and I wasn't always sure of it myself. Now that they're adults and actively involved in a variety of careers, I see that my my influence in each of their hearts, and I think each of us has a responsibility to make the world a better, better place because we were here. All That's right. Great thought to end on as we record on Mother's Day, too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that worked out. We
1: would like to thank everyone for listening, and we would love, we'd like to thank all of our awesome respondents, ease um for for con- for writing their um very thoughtful answers to our questions allowing us to share them today all of the people that wrote we have interviewed on the podcast and you can follow us on spotify and apple podcasts youtube facebook instagram and tick tock you can support this podcast by leaving us a comment and review on apple Podcasts, um or if you'd like, you can go to our Patreon page. We have uh, tiers at $1, $5, $10, or $20. And the donations go towards helping us with future projects, such as launching an, an herbal educational curriculum. We've dubbed the People's Herb School, a program designed with affordability and accessibility in mind, as well as funding to help us take the show on the road and do some on site reviews and interviews at herb farms and schools and other interesting places relative to our show's theme. You can also drop us an email. We have an email address if you have questions or comments. Um, that's uh, stories from the earth at gmail. And if you are listening on Spotify and want to answer our Spotify question, the question is, what was your favorite episode you've listened to so far? We'd love to know. And I guess that... That is it. So,
0: fiftieth ha- episode.
1: Woo-hoo. We, uh, we, yes. Yeah. So, who's ha- the next fiftieth? <laughs> Sorry, the next fifty. Yeah, would be hundredth episode. Here we come. Oh my gosh,
0: that is gonna be insane. And <laughs> this is a labor of love, so thank y'all for listening. I think we would probably do it for this for our own fun's sake, whether we had two listeners or 200 listeners but every new listener we get it's like woohoo we're sharing we're sharing something that we think is cool and fun and so we we would love it we we love it if you all find it cool and fun as well
1: (laughs) yes and that is my cat he is telling me he wants food so i don't know if you can see him i can't see oh he's back he's all the way back there he's this little white blob loud white blob
0: and next episode is do we know what's following this one um no
1: (laughs) (laughs) we have we have some we're going to record i'm not sure about the uh the The order order. okay well we're
0: picking up some good things so stay tuned for the next 50 episodes (laughs) that's right the next 50. okay bye everyone bye